Amen. Well, good morning, Cross Point Church. It's good to see you here this morning. I tell you, I just get so uh, excited about being able to celebrate stories like that, of stories of life change, and even seeing the baptisms this morning, it is just so remarkable to see God move in such an incredible way. Can we just give Jesus a hand again, just to celebrate Him and what He's doing in the life of the church? I tell you, uh, they're just, I, I've just been so encouraged by, by so much momentum that we see in the life of the church, whether it's our small groups or it's uh, our ministries, uh, different, different ministries that we have going on here, or whether it's taking place right here in the life of the church on Sunday morning as we gather together uh, for our worship services. But it's just been so encouraging to see God move, and, and, and I couldn't be more excited about, about this because this truly is our mission. This is what we've been called to, to be, and this is what we've been called to do is to live for Him and to just see His his name glorified. Um, if you're a guest with us here today, we are so excited that you're here. We're just thankful that you chose to, to join us this morning, and we just want to say to you, uh, you are welcome in this place, and, and if we can help you in any way, we'd love to, to meet you and get connected. Uh, so we just want to say thank you for being with us here today. I want to pray for us this morning, and then we're going to dive into the Word of God. We're going to continue in our study that we launched last week. So let's pray together, and then we'll we will go to God's Word for a time of studying and, and praying together. Father, thank you for this day, and thank you, Lord, for, God, your presence in our life. Thank you for stories of life change like we just saw with Jacqueline, and, and Lord, so many more that are in the life of the church. And God, it's just such a, a blessing to see you move in such incredible ways in our life. God, that we would know you, that we would feel loved by you, that we would be captivated by you, and that we could live for you God, because you've given us that opportunity to have an authentic relationship with our Savior, Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for this time together as a church, as a local body. And Father, we are gathered here today to acknowledge you, to worship you, to surrender to you, God, to love you. And Father, I thank you for the Word of God that teaches us in such incredible ways. I thank you for the time of worship that we have had and the voices being raised and praise and adoration to your holiness and your righteousness and your greatness. And God, now as we turn to your word and uh, God, we, we seek to understand the truth, I pray, Father, that you would stir our hearts and our minds, that you would help us to place aside every distraction that exists in our life. And, and God, we would be ready for an encounter with you. We love you so much and we thank you, Father, for what you're doing. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, we're continuing in our series called Synergy, and if you weren't with us last week, I want to just say just something real quickly about Synergy. Synergy, we defined as that which is greater when people come together than what we could ever accomplish on our own as individuals. And so, if you didn't have a, if you weren't here last week, I want to encourage you to watch it online so that you'd have a better understanding of what we're seeking to accomplish in this series. But this morning, we want to continue to, uh, to move forward in this series. And one of the things that we notice as we look into the life of the church is that the church is called together to work together, to strive together, to live together, to do life together, to do ministry together, to be discipled together. And so we see that synergy in the life of the church. And we know that when Christ is the one who is responsible for bringing us together and God is is, is, is laid before us the vision and the mission and the plan for us as a 
local body to go out together and strive together that we're going to see great things happen, not because of our own abilities, but because of the power of God that is working through us. And so we know that to be true. In fact, we see it all throughout the Scriptures. The Apostle Paul spoke of this uh, in his letter to the Philippian church. And I want to sort of go there before we dive into the text that we're going to be looking at this morning. But the Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Philippi, he said these words. He says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And those are some powerful words there, right there. Let your, let your life, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to see you or I am absent, that I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind. And then look at these words here. Striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And so the Apostle Paul, he talks about this great prayer that he has for the church as individual followers of Christ to come together and side by side we are striving together for the same purpose that there would be synergy uh, with the, the people of God and that there would be a greater impact being made than we could ever accomplish on our own. And so that's what we see here as we dive into this series here this morning. Now last week we started out talking about the, the need to be authentic followers of Christ Jesus, to be radically transformed by the power and the grace of God in our life. And so the, the message last week was titled Believe because it's so important that we understand who Christ is and, and to believe in Him, to have faith in Him, and to, to be saved by grace through that faith. And so we talked about that last week. Today, we're going to look at a second element uh, of, of what it means for the church to come together. And, and the title to this message is titled, Love. This is a very important element to who we are as a body of Christ. And so we want to talk about that this morning. Love is the the name of the message, and we're looking at Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 39. So go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, if you will, or if you're on an electronic device, go ahead and look that up here this morning. We're going to be diving into this text, Matthew 22, 34 and following. Now, love in the, in the English form is a word that we use a lot. In fact, we may use it more than we probably even recognize that we use it. I think we use it very correctly when we we refer to the affection that we have for our family or our spouses or, or our children or our grandchildren. Uh, we often use it talking about the one whom we desire to marry or whatever the, 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 the means may be. We, we use this word oftentimes very affectionately and very uh, uh, correctly in identifying those whom we have affection for. But we also use it to sort of uh, to reveal, I guess, our our pleasure in, in often things, uh, we, we say things like, I, I just love football. I mean, how, you know, I, I'm trying to say that about the University of Georgia these days, but, but it's, <laughs> I mean, that's my team, but, you know, I'm just like, Ugh, you know, don't really love football when they play like that. But, but the reality is, the reality is uh, we use this word oftentimes. We say things like, you know, I hear, I hear a lot of people say this, this isn't really my thing, but I just love Pinterest. Have you ever heard that before? You know, I, I tell you, there's a lot of people that love the great ideas they, got, they get from Pinterest, or I love my new iPhone. And so oftentimes we use this word to describe the affection that we have for things or other events in our life. And so we use this word 
probably quite often and, and more than we probably realize in our life. The only issue with that is oftentimes because we use that word, when we read Scripture, when we dive into God's Word and we read through Scripture and we see this word, it sort of has a, a loss of meaning for us because we just use it so often in our vocabulary and how we communicate. We, we use it to describe so many different things that when we read about love in Scripture, we, we may miss the, the potency of it that is trying to be revealed to us in the truth of God's Word. But this morning, we're going to be diving into this and we're going to be looking at it because Jesus uses this Word. He uses this to to really teach something very profound to us and very important for us to understand as he is facing off against the Pharisees. And this is the story that we're going to be looking at here today. Today, you know, as we read through the Gospels, we, we often see where Jesus encountered the religious elite. He, he often, uh, uh, you know, dealt with these Pharisees and these Sadducees, and, and they were in opposition to what he was teaching, what he was saying we saw at the onset of his ministry, he was tempted and led into the wilderness by the devil who was no doubt in opposition to his work and his teachings and what he was hoping to accomplish on this earth. But we also see it with the religious leaders of his day. And so they would oftentimes go and question what he was teaching and they would challenge him in these remarkable ways. And, and so that's what's happening here in this passage today as we get ready to dive in here. He is facing these, these people who are trying to their best to discredit his teaching. And this is where we pick up in the scripture in Matthew chapter 22, starting with verse 34. The word of God says this. It says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Let me just stop there for just a moment. You know, we see something happening here that is, uh, is something that we need to be very aware of. It says that, first of all, that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees. You see, Jesus had a way of sort of coming back against those who tested his faith. He had this remarkable ability to, to uh, offer truth and wisdom when these questions were asked. And he had already sort of put the Sadducees in their place. And so the Pharisees, they said, well, now it's our turn. And, and so now they have gathered together. And I think it's interesting how when God is moving in such remarkable ways, oftentimes we see where people who, because of pride or any other issue in their life, uh, maybe jealousy, uh, whatever they're sort of dealing with in their, in their own life, they, they oppose the things that God is trying to accomplish. And that's sort of what we see here. These people gathering together. They, in other words, they are scheming to see how they can go now, since the Sadducees didn't pull it off, that they can go and discredit Jesus. And so that's what they're preparing to do here. And that's what we read here in verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, he asked a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law. He's speaking of the law of Moses. And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
Now, honestly, I believe that what Jesus is doing here is, is probably one of the most powerful, most potent, most impactful things that he could say to them. It, it's, it's not really the answer that, that you may have been hoping for. It, on the surface level, it really seems very simplistic if you think about it. But the question was one that they no doubt understood. They, they would have already known the answer. They were just coming at him with a really wicked heart to try to discredit his teaching. And so they start off with this question that they ask, what is the greatest commandment of the law of Moses? And so what Jesus does here is he, he basically quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, a verse that they would have been very familiar with, a verse that, in fact, as Pharisees and Sadducees, they were required to recite on a daily basis. So what Jesus gives them is exactly what they already know, but then, of course, they already know the answer to this question, don't they? And so they, they, they come to him in this spirit of sort of discrediting him, and, and he says to them, uh, when asked, what is the greatest commandment of all? He says to them, love God. With every fiber of your being, love God. Now, I don't want us to miss this. I don't want us to miss what Jesus is doing here. I don't want us to miss what, what Jesus is saying here because this is, this is really quite powerful. As simple as it appears on the surface, it's really quite powerful what Jesus is saying and what he is accomplishing here. You see, the Pharisees, they hated Jesus. And I know that's a strong word, but we see throughout Scripture, this is, this is their heart. They despised him, but it went deeper than despising. It went to a place of more than even bitterness and jealousy. It was a, it was a hatred that they had for him. And, and there was a lot of reasons why that took place. But in Matthew 12, verse 14, we read these words, that the Pharisees, they went out and they conspired against him. They went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Some translations say how they were going to kill him. And so they hated him with a passion. He was out there doing some things that, that was really just making them mad. And there was, there was hatred that was burning in their hearts instead of Instead of a love for truth, they, were, they, were, they, were, they felt threatened by this man named Jesus. I was studying through this and trying to see what it was that, that just made this hatred burn within the hearts of the Pharisees and trying to get a grasp of, of why they, they were so against him. And, 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 and as I studied the scriptures, I began to realize there were several things. I jotted down three of them and I wanted to give you these here this morning. They Several reasons why I think they just really hated him so much. One is that he taught the things that contradicted what they were teaching. In other words, you see, one of the things that they were teaching, quite honestly, was that religion, you know, this adhering to the, the law of God, this religion was, was what was most important. It was the pathway that they said to really salvation and everything else. And Jesus came, comes into the picture, and he goes, it's not that at all. He says, in fact, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And this just sort of contradicted what they were teaching. And so obviously, that's why so often they would accuse him of blasphemy, because he was just radically saying things that were so much different 
than they were. And so there was this contradiction of what they were teaching versus what he was teaching. Another thing that I saw as I read, read through the Scriptures was that he accomplished things that were beyond their abilities and power. You see, one of the things that we recognize about Jesus is his, his divinity, the reality that he is divine and that he had God on his side, no doubt. And there were miracles being performed everywhere he went. There were, there were people being healed. And, and these, were the, these were the accomplishments that went beyond what the Pharisees and the Sadducees could do. And that, that, made, that made Jesus a very popular person. And that's the third thing that I recognize as I read through the Scripture, is that, that, that Jesus was also much more popular than they were. And I'll tell you, as they begin to recognize this, there began to be this bitterness and this hatred that began to burn inside of them. But really, when you think about it, as you dive into their life, as you try to see and recognize the sin that was eating them alive, you begin to realize that the real issue here was pride. It was pride. And so Jesus is exposing this. Jesus is making this known to so many people that this problem that they had, the problem wasn't Jesus, it was sin in their hearts. They didn't recognize Jesus for who He is, and because of that, whenever... He was gaining more attention than them. Pride sort of surfaced to the, came to the surface and, and we begin to see these things unfolding. I, I love what C.S. Lewis says about pride. He, he sort of identifies this about pride. He says, pride gets no, pleasure, gets no pleasure out of something, having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. It is in this comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. And that's exactly what the Sadducees and the, the Pharisees, that's what they longed for. They longed to be recognized as the spiritual elite of their community. They longed for the attention to be on them. They longed to be above the next man. And they, they just longed for these things that really just revealed their pride. And then Jesus comes in. And He changes all of that. He points to pride as being sinful and He begins to speak truth about authentic Christianity and, and, and how we come to, to salvation. And when he speaks this truth, that they oppose him and it begins to bring about tension. So Jesus is accomplishing greater things and, and he's more popular than all of this. And this is the image that we have. This is what we gain from reading through the gospel and coming to understand this story of, of Jesus' encounter with the Pharisees. But now let's look at how Jesus responded to them. You see, I think this is interesting. They, they've brought this question to Jesus now. What is the greatest commandment? Jesus, what would you say is the greatest thing that we could do? Those kids are having too much fun, aren't they? <laughs> I mean, we're going to have to talk to them. I mean, I, I don't know. No, they're, they're having a great time over there learning about Jesus as well, but but yeah, you, you, thank God for that, right? I tell you, I, I, Michael, when he was baptizing a while ago, it was just remarkable, you know, asking the young lady, how old are you? Eight years old. And it's just so awesome to see somebody coming to know Jesus at eight years old. Amen? And so let them have their fun. I know the, I know the reality of this. They're learning about Jesus over there. Amen? The same as we are. So it's just, it's just remarkable to hear them 
screaming like that. I, I don't know if we're going to be able to hear them in the new building or not, but I kind of hope we are, you know? I kind of hope we are. It's very encouraging. But here, Jesus, he responds to, he responds to this bitter attitude, this, this hatred. He responds to the pride of the Pharisees when they came and asked him this question, what is the greatest commandment? And he says these words to him. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Now, like I said, we, we look at that and we, if we're not careful, we just sort of skip over it like a stone skipping across a pond. If we're not careful, we really miss the depth of of what Jesus is saying. Jesus is using a word here called from the Greek language that, that is agape. It's an agape love. It's a, it's a love that is great. It's a love that is committed. It's a love that is above all other. It's, it's a love toward God that cannot diminish. And so here he, he says, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. In fact, love God with every single thing that you are. It begins with loving God. And last week we began this series by, by going through the scriptures, walking through the scriptures, and we talked about this great need to believe in Christ, the fact that we have been saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, but, but that we are called to have faith in Christ Jesus. That, that is, that we are called to believe but I want to say something this morning, and I don't want you to misunderstand me when I say this, I, but, but I think it's important that we understand this, that when we look at the Scripture here and we see where Jesus says, love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, what we need to understand here, and what I feel like I need to say is that God wants more than just our belief. He wants more than just our belief in Him. We talked about this last week as we looked at the scriptures that pointed to the reality that even the demons believe in Jesus. So, so Christianity, authentic Christianity, has to go beyond just belief. And this is where we find ourselves today because Jesus says when they come to him, what must we do? What is the greatest commandment? He says, listen, love God, agape God, love God, be committed to God, the kind of love that never can diminish, the kind of love that is devoted to a heavenly father. Love God with everything that you are. And he lays this out before them. And Jesus is answering their simple question with a very simple answer. Like I said already, they know this answer. They would have recited it every single day. But they give him a simple answer, and he gives them a, sim I mean, a simple question, and he gives them a simple answer, but it's profound at the same time because it is exposing this reality that they have missed what they thought they knew. And he lays it out there before them and everyone else. It's almost as if Jesus is saying to them, you know what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to love God, but you don't. You don't. You recite it every single day, but you don't believe it. You don't love him. You say you, you're a follower, you're a, you're a believer, but your life doesn't speak of it. That's what Jesus is saying here when he answers their question. 
John MacArthur, he said this, he says, God demands that we love him with a perfect love, with a love that is as wide as all of our capabilities and our capacities. No one is ever right with God until his heart and his soul and his mind and his strength manifest the love of God. What does it mean to to manifest the love of God, to show the love of God, to be the love of God? How is that even possible? It's only possible because of what God is doing in us and through us by his Holy Spirit. And so here we begin to see this. I want to show you a passage in 1 John chapter 4, verse 16 through 19. You can flip there if you want. We'll, we'll go through this here. But, but here we read these words. He says, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. We talked about that last week. This tremendous love that God has for us. We know that salvation comes because of this great reality that God loves us. He loved us so much that he would send his son to die on the cross for us. And so we, we understand that. It says here, so we have come to know this and believe this, that the love that God has for us. God is love. You see that? God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. You see the centrality of love in this verse? You see how love is the, is the pinnacle of everything that's being said here? And then he says in verse 15, by this love perfected in us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is also we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Look at verse 19. We love, why? Because he first loved us. The reason that we love, the reason that love is central to everything that we are as authentic followers of Christ Jesus, or at least it should be, is because God loved us first and therefore he is perfecting our love in us and that we live out our lives as authentic believers loving not only God but others. And he's going to get to that in just a moment. But we love God, this agape love. Romans 5 5 says this, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Just imagine that. The love of God, the love of God, God is love, the love of God pouring into our hearts through the Holy Spirit of God. That what? We may love more. More what? More God, more people. Why is it that in our world today there are so many professing Christians that don't love? Why is it that there are so many professing Christians that that live with bitterness toward people. If God has transformed our hearts and he is perfecting our love in us by his Holy Spirit, then what should be evident in our life is love. I'm convinced of this, that until we can begin to love each other, that the community will never see the love of Jesus in us. Until we live our life, until love is manifest in our life, the love of God, the love of Christ, our love for people, until that is manifest in our life, then our community will never know Jesus the way they need to know Jesus. And so here, here Jesus is dropping the bomb on the Pharisees because they had a real hard problem loving anybody but 
themselves. And this is where he does. Jesus, he says, love God. And then he really drops the bombshell when he says this. He says, love people. Love God. Love people. Look at this with me, if you will. Verse 39. Jesus has been asked this question. What is the greatest commandment? He says, I know you know this, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Then he says, and the second is like it. Now, they didn't ask him for a second one. Do you notice that in the question? They They didn't say, well, give us the first and the second. They just asked for the greatest commandment of all. But Jesus says this, and this is powerful, and I hope you don't miss this this morning. Jesus says the first is love God with everything you are, and then he says the second is just like it. Oftentimes we skip over that little phrase, the second is just like it. But here's what that phrase literally means. It literally means it parallels the first one. It literally means that if you're going to love God, if you've got this tremendous love for God, then you've got to also love people. You've got to love your neighbor as yourself is what he says. He says the second one is just like it. It's parallel to the first. In fact, if you're going to say that you do the first one, then you can't not do the second one. And we begin to see this in the scripture as he continues to teach. He says, the second one is just like it. And he goes ahead and he spells it out for them just in case they don't get it. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. John 13, 34, and 35 says this, a new commandment I give to you, Jesus says, that you love one another just as I have loved you, and you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's, the, that's exactly the statement I just made. I, I'm convinced that until we learn to love each other, the, the community will never Know Jesus because they look at the church, they look into the life of the church, and when they look into the life of the church and they see us loving the way we're supposed to be loving, loving God and loving people, when the the outside, when the community can see that in us, people will know the real Jesus. They will know the real Jesus. And so what is God doing here? What is God accomplishing here if, if, if we're not loving one another, if all we have is love God and we miss out on the other thing, we are nothing more than the Pharisees. And Jesus is laying it out there. And you think the first part was offensive. This is really offensive to them. Because he is exposing the sin that exists in their life. He says, you say you love God, but you don't love God because you don't love people. All you love is yourself and all you live for is self-glory. This isn't a simple answer that Jesus is offering. This has depth. This has meaning. This is profound. No wonder they wanted to kill him. John 15, 12 and 13, Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you, Greater love has no one than this, than someone who is, will lay down his life for his friends. I love the first part of that. This is my commandment, that you are to love one another. 
in this one simple thing that Jesus has said to the Pharisees, he has basically spoke the entire law that God gave to Moses. Love God. Love people. That's the life of an authentic believer. That's the life of an authentic child of God. To love God and to love people. Around here, we, you hear us say a lot, these four words, connect, grow, serve, send. That's how we define the mission that God has set us on, the path that He has chosen for us. And I, I want you to know that that simple word, connect, it doesn't just mean like, hey, get plugged in. Hey, join a small group. Hey, serve on a team. No, when we say connect, when we recognize this word connect as being important for our life, a word that, we, that, that has a lot of value to us, what we mean by that is that everyone that we meet, our desire should be that we would help them understand what it means to love Jesus and to love people. Why is that so important to us? Because it is the first and the second greatest commandment that Jesus ever gave. Love God, love people. And that's what we're called to. That's what we're called to. Matthew Henry, he once wrote, we must love our neighbors as ourselves, as truly and sincerely as we love ourselves and in the same instant, no, in many cases, he says, we must deny ourselves for the good of our neighbor. Jesus says you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Last week we sort of wrapped up the service by talking about the need to respond to what God is doing in our life towards salvation. And we presented the gospel in such a way that I hope it was clear, I hope it was understandable that, that Jesus came into this earth and He died on a cross. He died on a cross. He was buried in a tomb and He conquered death and sin through His resurrection. And as we talked about that, we talked about the reality that, that when the church comes together, that it must be the church. It begins with each individual person connecting first and foremost to God. And then today, what we're really sort of doing is we're springboarding off of that truth that it begins with each one of our individual salvations, each one of us becoming a true disciple of Christ Jesus. And then we springboard off of that and we have discussion today about the reality that we are called not only to love God, that vertical love, but to also love others, that horizontal love. And we begin to see really the reality of connection the way Jesus intended it to be. And so this morning, I want to challenge you if we have listened to the Word of God, as we have, have seen the words of Jesus, where Jesus says to these who are prideful and lost in their way, He says to them, love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and also do this, love your neighbor in the same way you love yourself. We begin to see that salvation is much more than just believing. It's dying to self. 
It's maturing as a believer in Christ Jesus. It's connecting with other individual followers of Christ that there would be synergy, that there would be a greater accomplishment together than there ever could be outside of ourselves. That when we come together as a church, all radically transformed by the power and the grace of God in our life, all radically transformed by the blood of Jesus, when we as the, the individuals come together, we are able to accomplish things that go beyond who we are as individuals. You see, it's much bigger than you. And it's much bigger than me. The church is the bride of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. And what Jesus says to the Pharisees is, you can't have a love for God if you don't have a love for people. Because God is love. And His love is being poured into us by His Holy Spirit every single day that we would learn to love more and more every day of our life. My dad is 84 years old. Most of you have heard the stories and you know one of the things that is going on in my dad's life is he's struggling with lung cancer and we found out just this week that that it's back and it's inoperable and who knows we're going to hopefully find out Monday but my dad is so weak he can hardly do anything but one thing he can still do when we walk into the house is love he's not able to do much more than that but he can love I've learned a lot about love from my dad this weekend. Jesus says, love God with every being within you, with every fiber of your heart, soul, and mind, with everything you've got. Love God. And equally as important, love others. In just a moment, our pastors are going to come up front, and I'm going to be down here. One of the things we want to communicate with you is that we are always here to have conversation, to continue to do ministry as long as it takes after the service has come to an end. If you have questions, if you want to talk, if you want to, if you want to pray, we are here for you. If you want to come to this altar and pray for your family, if you want to come and pray for your community, or maybe you want to come and just pray for yourself that, that we could be better at loving then this altar is a great place to come and spend time with God. I recognize that it means moving away from what is comfortable with us, sitting in our chairs and, 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 and not leaving our spot, but this is a great place to do community with God. But in just a moment, I'm going to pray. And then you respond in whatever way God is teaching you, whatever way God is calling you to respond. You respond. Let us, as the church, be better at loving both God and each other. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. God, thank you for, God, where it all begins. It begins with salvation. And for those of us who are authentic followers of Christ Jesus here today, God, we recognize the blessing that we have in you. We recognize that you have accomplished in us something that we could never accomplish in ourselves.
And for that, Father, we are grateful. We are thankful. And Father, I pray that as the church, we would come together and that we would long to strive together as Paul once prayed for the Philippian church. That they in unity could strive together accomplishing the mission that was at hand. I pray the same for us, Father, that we as a church would would desire, we would long to, to strive together, but knowing, God, that that is only possible when we learn what it means to love you and to love others, especially those in our faith family. And so, Father, strengthen us, encourage us, challenge us, with the truth of your word. God, reveal to us the things that we need to understand and the actions that we need to take and the things that we need to say because, God, your Holy Spirit has moved in our life. Father, as we we prepare to close out this service, may we continue with a spirit of prayer, just lifting up our prayer, praying for our families and our community and people, the ones that we love and the ones that we don't even know, God, that they could experience you and that they would know you greater than they ever have before. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.